Well, hey, everybody, it's Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. So since the new year started at Melbourne Heights, we've been spending our time together talking about what we can do to make our lives matter in 2020. And in the Gospel of Matthew, or Matthew's biography of Jesus's life, Jesus tells us that for our lives to matter, we have to seek God first and foremost. We have to make God the main thing in our lives. And in this episode sermon, we're going to continue talking about how we can do that, how we can seek God first, how we can make God the main thing in our lives. And it has something to do with the way that shepherds treat their sheep. So let's listen to this episode sermon. So over the last couple of weeks together, we've been talking about what we can do to make our lives matter in the new year. And we've been talking about this to start out the new year because every time a new year rolls around, we tend to think about what we can do to make our lives better. We think about how we can eat healthier and exercise more so that our bodies will feel better. Or we think about how we can spend less of our money and save more of it to make our financial lives better. Or we try out new hobbies or attempt to learn some sort of new skill to simply improve our lives and make it a little bit better. But although all of these things can make our lives better, they don't make our lives matter. And that's because making our lives better is about improving our lives for ourselves. But making our lives matter is about the difference that we can make in the world all around us. And if we want to make a difference, if we want our lives to matter, there's only one thing, one thing that can be the main thing in our lives. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus tells us exactly what needs to be the main thing in our lives when he says... Seek first and foremost God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So in this passage in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus tells us that if we want our lives to matter, then God has to be the main thing in our lives. If we want our lives to matter, then God has to be the main thing in our lives. So as we're starting into this new year, we're, we're doing that by talking about how we can make God the main thing in our lives. And making God the main thing in our lives comes down to doing what Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Making God the main thing in our lives is about seeking God. Seeking God's kingdom, seeking God's righteousness, first and foremost, above everything else we do. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we first started into this series of sermons. But that word seeking here, it means that you're going to chase after something with everything that you have. So if we want God to be the main thing in our lives this year, we have to chase after God with everything that we have. But how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we seek God? How do we chase after God with everything that we have? Well, believe it or not, there's a relatively easy answer to that question. How do we chase after God? By chasing after the things that God chases after. We chase after God by chasing after what God does. Okay, so if we want to chase after God this year then we need to chase after the same things that God chases after. But that's going to lead us to a a pretty important question that we're going to try to answer this morning. And that question is, 
What does God chase after? What does God chase after? And fortunately for us, Jesus gives us an answer to this question too. But he doesn't answer the way that we like our questions answered by simply coming flat out and telling us, well, this is what God chases after. Instead, what Jesus is going to do is what Jesus often does when he is asked a question. Jesus is going to tell us a parable, or he's going to tell us a short story with a moral lesson to show us what God chases after. So let me encourage you to go ahead and grab your Bible, whether you've got a printed one like mine or an app on your phone, and I encourage you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. And we're going to take a look at this parable together. But as you're finding it, let me just remind you that the book of Luke is one of four books we have inside of the New Testament that we call the Gospels. And we call these four books the Gospels because the word gospel means good news. And these four books, they tell us the good news of Jesus. They tell us about Jesus's life, his ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection. And the passage we're going to be reading this morning, Luke is going to tell us one of the lessons that Jesus teaches us. And Luke tells us, as Luke tells us this story, he sets the stage for us just a little bit. As Luke tells us this story, he's going to tell us that there are a couple of different groups that are gathered around Jesus when he teaches this particular parable. Now, the first group in this passage that Luke refers to, he calls them tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors and sinners. Now, we live in a world today that doesn't think very highly of taxes and the IRS. I mean, if you're like me and you received your W-2 this week from your employer, you probably weren't exactly excited to see it because you know that means tax season is just around the corner. But that doesn't even begin to compare to the way that people felt about tax collectors in Jesus' time. In Jesus' time, tax collectors were, glor- were glorified crooks. They were able to take as much money as they could possibly collect under the guises of receiving taxes for the Roman Empire. And on top of that, they worked for the Roman Empire, the same Roman Empire that conquered the nation of Israel. So tax collectors weren't just crooked thieves, they were also considered traitors to their people. Now let's talk about that sinners that Luke refers to as well. A lot of us have heard verses like Romans 3.23, which says, For all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've heard verses like that our entire lives. So when we hear the word sinner here, we don't usually appreciate what Luke is telling us. And that's because when Luke tells us that there are sinners in the crowd when Jesus is teaching, we don't register what that means. What Luke is really telling us here is that Jesus is hanging around with people who have not only broken the law of Moses that we've been reading about together as a church as we've read the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, he's telling us that the entire community around them know that these people have broken the laws of Moses, that they are classified as sinners in the nation of Israel, and that they have been banned from entering into the temple. Okay, so that's one group that Jesus is going to tell this parable to. The other group that's around when Jesus is teaching this parable are Pharisees and legal experts. Now, Pharisees are a group of religious leaders that can trace their roots back to around 150 B.C., 150 years before Jesus' birth. 
And they originated as a group for a reason. They came about as a group to encourage all of Israel to study the Bible so that they could apply what the Bible teaches to everyday matters in their lives. And they also originated to keep the commandments that God gave the people of Israel. And then you have the legal experts. And the legal experts that Luke mentions can also be referred to as scribes. And these scribes were the elite scholars who specialized in teaching and understanding the law of Moses. So they're kind of a mix between lawyers and priests. So on one side of the story that we're about to read, you have the tax collectors and you have the sinners. And then on the other side of the story, you have the Pharisees and the religious experts. Okay? On one side, you have the tax collectors and the sinners. And these are the lowest of the low in Israel society. They are reviled and they are despised by their entire community. But on the other side, you have the Pharisees and the legal experts. These folks are the defenders of their faith. These are the people who have been entrusted to keep Israel on the right path. So let me ask you a question. Between the sinners and the tax collectors on this side, and the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes on the other side, who do you think God chases after? Who do you think God chases after? after. Now remember your answer to that question, and let's see what Jesus has to say about it. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to start reading together in verse 1. Here's what Luke writes. It says, all the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus to listen to him. The Pharisees and legal experts were grumbling, saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And Jesus told them this parable. Suppose someone among you had 100 sheep and lost one of them. Wouldn't he leave the other 99 in the pasture and search for the lost one until he finds it? And when he finds it, he is thrilled and he places it on his shoulders. And when he arrives home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying to them, Celebrate with me because I found my lost sheep. In the same way I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who changes both heart and life than over 99 righteous people who have no need to change their hearts and lives. So as this passage begins, Jesus is teaching. And the tax collectors, Luke tells us that the tax collectors and the sinners are listening to Jesus. But the Pharisees and the legal experts, they just can't handle that. They can't handle the fact that Jesus is teaching and talking to these tax collectors and these sinners. They can't believe that Jesus would even speak to people like this, let alone try to teach them about the kingdom of God. After all, these people have been banned from being in God's presence in the temple. And the truth is, a lot of us feel the same way. Now, a couple of minutes ago, when I asked you whether you thought that God would chase after the sinners and the tax collectors, or if God would chase after the Pharisees and the legal experts, you probably knew the right answer to that question. You did. If you spent much time in the church at all over the years, then you know in your head that God is going to chase after the sinners and God is going to chase after the tax collectors like the shepherd chases after his lost sheep. But just because you know this answer in your head, it doesn't mean that you actually believe it in your heart. 
Just because you know in your head that God is going to chase after the sinners and the tax collectors, it doesn't mean that you actually believe that in your heart. So there are plenty of Christians today who feel the same way that the Pharisees and the legal experts do in our story. There are plenty of Christians who think that God should have nothing to do with the tax collectors and the sinners in our world today. There are plenty of Christians who think that God should only chase after people like the Pharisees and the religious experts, people who go to church every Sunday, people who regularly read their Bibles, people who remember to say prayers before they eat their meals. There are plenty of Christians today who, th- who just think that they're better than people who aren't following God right now. And some of those Christians sitting in this room right now. But in the passage we just read, Jesus doesn't want to hear any of that. As soon as Jesus hears the, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes, start grumbling about the fact that he's hanging out with tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is going to step in and he's going to nip it in the bud right out of the gate. Jesus isn't going to let the Pharisees and the scribes think that they are better than the tax collectors and the sinners that are in that room with them. Jesus isn't going to let the Pharisees and the scribes think that they are the only ones that matter to God. Instead, Jesus tells them, it's a parable. A parable that we usually refer to as the parable of the lost sheep. To show the Pharisees and the scribes who it is that God really chases after. And who does God chase after in this story? Well, just like the shepherd and the parable of the lost sheep, God chases after the lost sheep. God chases after the lost sheep. He leaves behind the 99 to go searching for the one that's lost its way. And he's not going to stop until he finds that sheep and brings it home. And just to drive this message home, just to drive this message home for the religious leaders, the legal experts, he tells them, He tells them that there is more joy in heaven when one lost sinner is found and brought home to God than when 99 righteous people stay in the pasture. But here's the really incredible thing about the Gospel of Luke. You see, when you read this parable, and when you read the rest of the book of Luke, you see that this parable isn't just a story that Jesus tells to the tax collectors and the sinners, to the, to the Pharisees and the legal experts. This is also a truth that Jesus lives out throughout the entire Gospel of Luke. If you take a quick glance through the Gospel of Luke, you can see exactly what I mean. Like in Luke chapter 2, when Luke tells us the story of Jesus' birth, Who are the first people who hear the good news that Jesus has been born? Now, we would expect that if God is going to chase after the religious leader and the scribes, that God is going to first show up, that the good news of Jesus' birth is going to be announced to royalty, important people. We're going to think that the the good news of Jesus' birth is going to be announced to the wise men or to the religious leaders that are in the temple. 
But the first people to hear that Jesus has been born are shepherds. People who literally lived on the fringes of society. Or in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus calls his first disciples, who is it that Jesus is seeking out? Who are the people that Jesus chases after to make his first disciples? Does Jesus go into the temple and ask uh, for, their, for a list of their biggest contributors to make sure that his ministry will be well-financed? Or does Jesus go down to the local university and get a list of all of their students so that he can pick from the best and the brightest? Or does Jesus go over to Rome and visit the Senate and try to recruit the most powerful people on the planet in that time? No, that's not what Jesus does. That's not who Jesus chases after. Instead, Jesus goes about as far away from any of those places as you can possibly imagine. According to Luke's Gospel, he goes out to Lake Gennesaret, on the edges of Israel, bordering Gentile nations, and he seeks out first four ordinary fishermen to be his disciples. And we don't have to stop there. We can keep talking about it. Because in Luke chapter 7, Jesus is approached in this story by a Roman centurion who has a slave that is near the point of death. And there are two things that we should pay attention to when we hear this story. The first thing is the person who is asking Jesus for help. And that is a Roman centurion, a Roman soldier, as in the same Roman Empire that invaded and conquered Israel. So this person who is coming and asking Jesus for help is a member of the enemy. But that's not all. Because the second thing we should pay attention to is who the soldier is asking Jesus to help. And the person that the soldier is asking Jesus to help is a slave. He's a nobody. They were among the lowest of the low and had no rights in that culture whatsoever. But when Jesus is asked by this soldier to help, what does Jesus do? He goes with the soldier and he seeks out the slave. And I'm still just getting started. One chapter later in Luke chapter 8, Jesus is on his way to the home of, an, of a religious leader to heal that man's daughter. And to be perfectly honest, this is the kind of thing that most of us would have expected Jesus to be doing as the Son of God. He would be on his way to help out the religious leaders, those people that are in church on every Sunday, that are reading their Bible, that are praying before every meal. But a funny thing happens. While Jesus is on his way to this religious leader's home, while he is walking, there is a crowd that has gathered around Jesus. And someone inside of this massive crowd reaches out and touches the hem of Jesus' clothes. And immediately, Jesus stops what he's doing. Immediately, Jesus stops chasing after this religious leader. And he turns to the crowd to seek out the person who has just reached out and touched the hem of his clothes. Now think about that for just a second. Jesus is on the way to help somebody that most of us would consider an important person. Somebody in Israel's culture and religious society that matters. But he stops dead in his tracks when someone reaches out and just barely touches the hem of his clothes while he is surrounded by a crowd of people. And what Jesus finds is he searches through this crowd of people as a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. A person that that religious leader, that Jesus was going to help, would have classified as unclean. Somebody that would have been unfit for the attention 
of someone like Jesus. But Jesus stops what he's doing to chase after this woman in the crowd, to seek her out, to find her and help her. And we keep going. We can keep going from here as well. We can talk about Zacchaeus. You guys remember the story of Zacchaeus, right? That wee little man, and a wee little man was he, and he climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And who was Zacchaeus? What did he do for a living? He was a tax collector. And we can talk about the way that Jesus seeks out one of his very own disciples, a disciple by the name of Thomas, after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. And Thomas, Thomas has his doubts. He doubts that Jesus did what Jesus said he would do, that Jesus has risen from the grave. But Jesus doesn't hold Thomas's doubts against him. Instead, Jesus seeks Thomas out and shows Thomas that he is alive. And I keep going, but at this point, you've got to get the point. At this point, you have to understand that God doesn't just say he chases after the lost sheep. He really does it. God chases after people that are far from him. God chases after people that some of us sitting in this church this morning want absolutely nothing to do with. God chases after sinners. He calls fishermen. He shares the good news with shepherds. He heals a woman who has been bleeding and suffering for years. He takes care of the daughter of a soldier that should have been a sworn enemy. Jesus eats with tax collectors and makes time for people who doubt him. Well, that's not how we live, is it? That's not how we live. We don't chase after the tax collectors and the sinners in our world today. We spend our time in and around the church with people who have a whole lot more in common with the Pharisees and the legal experts than they do the tax collectors and the sinners in the store. But that's not what's going to make our lives matter. That's not what it looks like for us to chase after God. So if you really want to chase after God this year, if you really want to seek his kingdom first, then you have to chase after the same people that God chases after. Let me challenge you to do that. Let me challenge you to do that. If you want your life to matter this year, then you have to chase after God, and you chase after God by chasing after the people that God chases after. So this year, seek out a one of your grandkids. It could be the cashier that you see every week when you're checking out at Kroger, or the barista at Starbucks that makes your coffee for you every morning. It could even be the kid that you hire to cut your grass in the spring and summer. But find somebody. Find somebody in your life that is one of these lost sheep. Somebody that's far from God. And invest in them. Get to know them. Talk with them. Learn their story. Share your story. Invite them to come with you to church. Seek them out. Because they're who God seeks out. And see how God can change their lives, and the difference that he can make through your life in this world. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the story that we've got to hear this morning and be reminded of, the story that we call the parable of the lost sheep. God, you know that at one point we have all been lost sheep. 
But you never gave up on us. You constantly sought us out. And you brought us back home. God, that happened through the work of people just like us sitting inside of this room right now. Through the work of preachers and Sunday school teachers, people that sing in the choir, folks that just come to church. They invested in us. They told us the good news. And because of that, we have all been found. But God, don't let us forget that there are plenty of sheep that are still outside of the pastures that need to be found by you. So let us all find one of those sheep in our lives this year. Invest ourselves into them so that they can be found by you too. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's Adam again, and thanks for listening to this episode of our sermon podcast. And as you've listened, I hope that you've learned what it means to seek God first. It means that you're going to chase after the same people that God chases after. And God chases after his lost sheep. So let me just repeat for you the challenge that you've heard in this episode sermon. This year, seek out a lost sheep in your life, whether it's a neighbor or a friend, one of your kids or grandkids, the cashier at your favorite store, or the barista that makes your coffee at Starbucks, or the guy that cuts your grass. Seek them out, because they are the ones that God is chasing after. Now in our next episode, we're going to be wrapping up this series of sermons by talking about what it really takes to seek God first. That episode will drop next Sunday afternoon. And if you subscribe to our podcast, it'll be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. Now I'm going to be praying for you this week, and I hope that we'll see you back here next Sunday for another sermon podcast.